Welcome to the Chronic Spoonful podcast, where we discuss real life with real chronic illness. Each week, we'll cover an aspect of real life spoony living and what that can mean for different chronic illnesses. We hope this will be a place you can go for updated spoony info and where you'll find humor because, you know, we're a little crazy, important information, and community. As a disclaimer, we just want to remind you that, yes, we'll be talking about chronic illness and health information, but we are not your doctor. Everyone's chronic illness is different, and we are absolutely not MDs, so we are not qualified to give you medical advice. We're going to tell you unequivocally to discuss anything we talk about on this podcast with your doctor. All right, everyone, welcome back this week, and we are so excited to have Peyton Garland on the show. Um, Now that we're through with our disclaimers, we get to get into our interview time with her, and it's very exciting. Um, Peyton is going to be here today talking with us about OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder. And Peyton is a writer, a wannabe rapper, which we're definitely going to have to get into, and a coffee shop hopper who loves connecting people to a grace much bigger than expected. Her debut book, Not So By Myself, was promoted by former White House Press Secretary Dana Perino and endorsed by TED Talk speaker and creator of More Love Letters Movement, Hannah Brencher. Correct. Hey, <laughs> so good with names. Uh, Peyton is a guest writing coach for the Broadleaf Writers Association and frequent feature on mental health awareness and faith-based podcasts like So OCD, Hope in Anxiety, Everyday Royalty, and You Don't Have to Be Perfect. I like that name. Me perfect. too. Love so, it. So not perfect. She lives in Colorado Springs with her husband, Josh. And they're two gremlin dogs, Alfie and Daisy. Oh, you definitely know about gremlin cute. dogs over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're tragic, but they're cute. So that's what saves them. You know, dogs are just amazing. And they're so good for our health. But we, Peyton, we really want to welcome you. And we are so excited to talk, especially about OCD, because I think people, firstly, people dismiss, when we talk about chronic illness, people dismiss mental health is part of being, of being, of having chronic illness. You know, they think chronic illness is just something physical that people have. You know, we talk about lupus, we talk about EDS, we talk about MS on the show, but we don't normally get to talk about what's going on in our heads a lot of the time. Right. And um, in mental health is a, like when you have mental health issues, they are, they can be chronic and they have a huge impact on our lives. So, so you coming in to talk to us about this today is, is really a big deal because I think our listeners need to know that having an awareness of mental health um, and how it impacts us is very important. So tell us a little bit more about you. Tell us a little bit more about um, you know, your diagnosis and, and how, all, this, how all, it, all of it came about for you. So I grew up as a perfectionist just a a diehard perfectionist. It was in my nature. And so growing up, I always just thought I was a worrier. You're just a worrier because you like for things to be perfect. But the older I got, probably around 13, 14, 15, once you're actually cognitively becoming aware of more mature things, I noticed that my worrying was not normal. And my friends were not worrying near as much as I was. I was having lots of 
very unhealthy thoughts that I couldn't shake. And life continued to get harder because adulthood gets hard. And so once I finished college, I get married. There's lots of new. We just bought a house. I just got married. We just adopted terrible dogs, all these new things. And, and stress is something I can no longer handle. And I just, I knew something was not right. This was not just Peyton worrying because Peyton was having very abnormal thoughts to the point they were so crippling. They're actually called intrusive thoughts. They were so bad. I didn't want to get out of bed. It took everything to get out of the bed. I was losing weight. I dropped about five pounds a week. Wow. I could not put weight back on. So, so then my body physically started saying, hey, we are not okay as a whole. Like mind, body, spirit is shot. And I kept quiet about it because perfect girls who check all the boxes are not supposed to have problems. So you don't tell people you have problems. And I remember I got coffee with a friend of mine one day in Atlanta and she was just honest and vulnerable enough that we were, we were talking about experiences. We were both writers and she said, yeah, well, you know, I've been going to therapy. I got diagnosed with OCD and she just starts, she starts spilling all the crazy thoughts that have been in my head. She's over here saying them out loud because she's that brave. And I went, wait a second that that's what's going on here. And so thanks to her and lots of grace and a few other hard seasons in adulthood, I finally just showed up at a therapist's office and day one, she, she laughed about two seconds into me trying to explain my brain. She was like, yeah, this is OCD. Amazing. Amazing. So what are the types of intrusive thoughts you were having? Yeah. So there's, so there's four different branches of OCD. So lots of people think it's just symmetry OCD where the picture frames have to be right. Things have to be color coordinated. My car, I think like gnomes live in it. Like animals might live in it. It's disgusting. (laughs) I am not like (laughs) symmetry OCD. Nah, your girl is not phased by that kind of thing at all. But there are things called mental thoughts and taboo rituals, which is like religious OCD when you grow up in a very harsh church culture or when your faith isn't centered on grace and love and it's just really unhealthy with rules, there is also, goodness, there's contamination OCD, which I do have, which is real hard in a pandemic. Uh, my, my four hands have cracked and bled five million times over. And there's, there's just a lot that goes into the intrusive thoughts because the last branch is called harm OCD. So for me, what the intrusive thoughts look like is I'm driving down the road and I, I might feel like I crossed the white line just a little. My brain will instantly say, you know, you could have just ran somebody off the road and you could have killed them. And if you keep driving, you'll, you'll have murdered someone and not even known it. And what kind of person would that make you? I've gotten into a car wreck turning around, trying to make sure I didn't run someone off the road and cause my own wreck. Oh no. There's also thoughts, harm thoughts can also be sexual, which is very hard. So I don't like changing babies' diapers. I am terrified that I might touch them or harm them in some sort of way. So I'm very nervous about holding babies, changing their diapers, little children. I'm very funny about that sort of thing. And, And it's stuff like that 24 seven. And, and what stinks with OCD is, it, it tends to know what's most important to you. And that's where the hard thoughts come. So with OCD, chemically, my frontal cortex and my brain is not correct. It misfires all the time. And your frontal cortex is where you process emotions, where your rationale comes from, your sense of being able to handle things like changing a baby's diaper or knowing you didn't run someone off the road rationally. So my ability to turn off fight or flight, the adrenaline of panicky thoughts does not exist. 
So that, that's interesting that you say that there's the different types of OCD because most people associate it with the ritualistic style of, you know, I have to do 10 steps to the door, lock the doors seven times, right. unlock them, relock them, or, you know, I have to, I have to have the picture frames just so, and which can, which can be hard when you go to other people's houses and you have right. to try to suppress the desire to fix things yeah. in their house. Um, but yes, those, but there, there are different types of in, intrusive thoughts, but what is the difference though, between someone who might have just this idea that like, oh my gosh, it just bothers me that their picture frames aren't right. Or I, I need to have those in a row or, you know, I worry a lot versus mm -hmm. someone who actually has OCD. Like what, where is that line in the sand drawn? Your identity. So OCD will try to attack the core of who you are. It'll, uh, so for me with harm OCD, I'm over here thinking I'm a murderer and a child abuser. And that's just what I think. Like that is OCD challenging my ability to function normally. Even people with the, with symmetry OCD who truly have that compulsive disorder, they truly feel like I've heard um, some people in the OCD community say, I feel like if I don't straighten the picture frames, something bad might happen to one of my family members. It's almost, it's like an omen that uh, personally affects the core of who they are if they don't follow through with the compulsion. So like, if you like organization and you like things neat and you just keep things real clean, that's just a preference. But when there's a natural compulsion that's trying to threaten who you are and your core sense of worth and the sense of outcomes, like your loved one getting in a car accident because you didn't straighten up picture frames. Now that's, that's OCD. That's where we've taken it a step further. So once you realized that this was actually OCD, you went and you sought help what were your next steps? You know, you, you realized this, these were intrusive thoughts. There was an issue. What were your next steps? How did, how did you deal with it at that point? Cause now you had kind of someone telling you, yes, this is a problem. You're right. You need help with this. It was at first, it was a relief just to know. I, I wouldn't say I was normal, but this, these were normal thoughts for someone with OCD. So first it was just, Hey, Peyton, give yourself some grace. Like this is a disorder. This is not you. And so the first bit of therapy for me in house was lots of, they call it brain spotting therapy, where mm -hmm. you start with the intrusive thought, or you start with a thing that's really just wearing out your brain. And my therapist starts asking me questions about it, questions not related to it. And every time when we walk it back at the end of the session, we find where the problem came from. So a lot of times OCD tends to be triggered more when you grew up with childhood trauma. And my dad has PTSD. He was uh, in the military for 24 years. He's now in therapy. Medicine is doing great. But there were bits of trauma in my life growing up before my dad was diagnosed. And lots of my OCD stems from childhood issues. And so there was lots of hard work. The next steps were literally unhashing real trauma. So not just, hey, here's intrusive thoughts. It's sometimes they're catalyzed by just playing out trauma as a child. They don't have to be related to the thoughts because they're not. 
but chemically as a child, when you experience trauma, your brain kind of keeps taking hits over and over. So when you're an adult, chemically, you are still way out of balance, which makes you susceptible to intrusive thoughts that you then can't rationalize. So lots of my beginning work was the brain spotting therapy and going, hey, there's other things we've got to unpack to better understand why our brains can't wrap around wild thoughts and go, okay, whatever, shrug it off and move on. And then eventually I started taking medicine. So I take Zoloft every day. I, I know a lot of people put lots of pressure on people about medicine with mental health. It's a very taboo thought. Uh, I'm, I'm the Christian faith. That's my background. That's what I am. There's a lot of people who say, well, you know, if you, if you had more faith, your brain would be just fine. I am the person who says, I think it is a modern miracle from God. I'm going to take it every day and say, thank you, Lord. Amen. That something (laughs) is helping my brain function normal. So now I do brain spotting therapy. I'm on medication and there's a drastic difference. Nicole and I've been talking a lot about toxic positivity Mm-hmm. And this idea in chronic illness that people are like, if you're just more positive, if you just, you know, pray to God more, if you just had more faith, you know, the, the whole faith, the size of a mustard seed, I'm like, well, I think my faith, the size of a mustard seed is science. So I believe that God gave us science and science gave right. us medicine. And well, and you know, you think too, like one of the disciples was an actual doctor. You know, Jesus traveled (laughs) with a doctor, a human doctor. You know, it's like God's way of saying medicine is okay. You know, I'm going to put people on this earth for you that will help you when you need it. There's nothing wrong with it. I know when I first got diagnosed, I had a lot of people, are you, are you praying? Have you had people pray over you? You know, and I'm like, you know, even the Bible talks about, you know, suffering in this world, you know what I'm saying? So it was very insulting to hear, but I just realized that they didn't understand you know, that was just their misunderstanding. Well, and what I, what I love is there's, there's theologians who've recently really been narrowing in disciple per disciple and breaking them down as people. And a lot of them believe Matthew had either obsessive compulsive disorder or Asperger's from the way he writes the, the way he, he meticulously has all the numbers, all the genealogies, the way he obsessively includes certain details over and over. They believe truly he either had a form of OCD or Asperger's. And so, for, and, wow. and so for me, it's history's proven that chronic illness is sometimes it's your thorn in the side. And here's my thing. If my thorn in the side can help somebody else, then we're going to let it bloom. I'm going to believe this thorn in my side one day will bloom into something better. And I'll show up for other people. Like my friend showed up for me that day at a coffee shop. And, and that's that. what I'm going to have to let it be. And that's kind that. of exactly what this podcast is about. It's you know, we, we are taking our chronic illnesses, all of it, you know, we're allowing other people to come in with their chronic illnesses Mm -hmm. and we are using it to try and help other people see that, you know, they're chronic, they're lifelong, Mm -hmm. they're chronic illnesses, but we're, we're doing our best to live with these chronic illnesses and live lives with these chronic illnesses. So, you know, we may not have a way to get completely out of them, but let's do our best to live with what we've got. So, you, you know, you're, you're trying these different types of treatment, you know, medicine, I think is really an important part of mental health treatment. You know, every day there's something kind of new coming out with different types of medicine and, mm-hmm. and I love it. Um, I'm, I, I'm so fascinated by it as a psych major. This was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I, 
I eat up some of these articles all the time. I'm like, oh, that's new. That's new. Um, it's interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah. The human mm-hmm. brain is fascinating. It is. Yeah. It's, there's so many parts of it we still just do not understand yet. But here's the thing, like, you're going through all this. What support did you have as you were going through this? Because you talk about childhood trauma. Were there a lot of things that were dismissed as you went through your childhood um, that maybe people missed? And then as you were an adult, were, were there times where things were really hard that you wish you had, but now you feel like you're getting more support through this? So I come from a long line of military veterans. So multiple generations, all the way back to my great grandfather, all three of my great uncles were in the Vietnam war. And when they came home, I firmly believe what happens is my family as a whole adopted this concept that silence is strength. So if you don't talk about it, you're handling it because you, you have pulled up the bootstraps and you're, you're charging forward. And so for most of my life, and not that anyone did this in a you know tyrannical sort of way, but it was just the, no, you just bottle it up. You don't say anything and you keep moving forward. So I kept quiet for the most part. And my dad's PTSD pretty much took priority in the household because the, the father figure struggling. So mom is trying to support him. I'm the oldest sibling. I have a younger sister. I feel like I'm having to kind of be her mom while my mom's taking care of my dad. So I don't know that it was maybe a lack of support as much as a lack of knowledge. Like no one really knew because I was internalizing so well. And then, like I said, adulthood gets here and it's stuff's a lot harder. Now you're, you're paying a mortgage. Now you're balancing way more relationships that are much more complex. Like things are serious and I just couldn't balance anymore. And because my, my dad has two therapists, he is on medicine. I, I really, I think my family seeing him walk through that and being such a big, tough six foot three covered in tattoos guy, being willing to admit that he needed help. I, I think it, it pivoted that generation in my family. So I, I had lots of support showing up to therapy. Um, I went to a therapist in Atlanta at the time. She is fantastic. Um, and it's real expensive. I had my parents helping me pay for every other session. I mean, I just, I had total support. My husband is, is such a trooper. Uh, with contamination OCD, I'm afraid to go to pharmacies because that's where sick people go. So my husband has been going to CVS every time my Zoloft comes in and picking it up and bringing it home for me. So I, I can't complain in the, the support way. I've, I've had a ton of that across the board. That's wonderful. Uh, what advice would you give then to people that like might not have the support that maybe you feel like you've gotten or might not get the support? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think once you realize, hey, I think I need help, like something, something's not normal. I heard someone recently say that, that knowledge defeats isolation. So the second you know there's a problem, you are no longer alone because you know you can get help. And so I just really encourage people that while it might not be a conversation that's comfortable with parents, with a spouse, you know, with your children, there's a therapist out there. There are support groups. I mean, they're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. I have several OCD support groups on Instagram that are wonderful. Just reaching out and creating that community wherever you can is, is almost its own form of medicine. There's an emotional healing that takes place when you reach out to people you know are supportive. And that doesn't mean that it has to naturally create tension. 
You don't have to advertise it on social media. You don't have to tell your family, hey, I'm going to a therapist, but you do have to prioritize your mental health and take care of yourself. Like that is crucial. Agreed. When you sought out a therapist, what did you look for in a therapist? Because I think I think a lot of people just think they, you know, reach out to their insurance company and get assigned yeah. a therapist or they can just, you know, I call it look one up in the yellow pages, but now you Google it. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, for me, I think there's a lot more that goes into looking for a therapist. Can you, you kind of describe your process for looking for Yeah. For me, I, I didn't find one that I loved that my insurance provided. So I actually went outside my insurance, which is why it was so expensive but it was worth it. I wanted somebody for me personally, I, a, a lot of therapists will list which mental health avenues they specialize in. And so I was looking for someone who was very familiar with OCD. And so I, that was obviously the big thing. While there's therapists out there for depression, anxiety, even schizophrenia, bipolar, I needed someone who really understood OCD because I knew I had it, but I didn't know anything else about it. And then for me, I'm a person of faith. So I wanted a faith-based therapist because I wanted someone who could connect with me on my most important level of life. So those two things were huge for me. I'm more comfortable with women just because I am a woman. And again, I think woman to woman, man to man, you know, you tend to have more similarities or understand each other when there's that biological similarity and also look for somebody you know, I, I know it sounds weird, but a little bit younger like me. So somebody who, when I talk about the pressures of social media and some of the issues I have, someone who is likely on social media and understands where I'm coming from. So I look for someone not in my age category. I mean, I wanted somebody with some experience. So I'm not saying go find a 20 year old who's saying they're a counselor, <laughs> but someone my age, my gender, my faith background who really understood OCD. I, I completely understand because I'm not in your age group, but I am on social media a lot. And a lot of what you were looking for outside of OCD mm-hmm. um, were things I was looking for. I needed someone who was closer to my age group, who understood social media, who you know dealt with anxiety disorder, who dealt with a lot of these other things that was, was you know, was open to discussing Christian faith and wouldn't completely dismiss that as part of who Mm -hmm. I am as a person who could do all of those things. And, and in my case was, you know, open to Christian faith, but was also, you know, more liberal on that side. I I needed all of those things in one package, (laughs) which took a while to find. And I went through a few therapists before I found the right one. It, it was not easy and it, does take time to find the right, the right it person. Does. It and it, it does. is also important if you, if you believe medicine is something that will help you, there's a difference in psychologists and psychiatrists. So one can prescribe medicine, one can't. Mm-hmm. And while your primary doctor typically can prescribe your medicine, it makes a lot of difference when your in-person therapist is the one who can kind of do the trial and error. So for me, they, they tried me on Lexapro, it did nothing. I was on Prozac and had crazy unhealthy side effects. Then we had to do Zoloft. So having a therapist who can also work through the medicinal process with you is super important. So just that that's also a big question you want to ask that friend is, hey, do you have the medical degree to also prescribe medicine if that's an avenue you're looking at? Or are they willing to work with your primary care or a psychiatrist to work through it with you? Right. Yes, exactly. Um, I was lucky. My, my therapist was willing to work with my primary care to 
That's awesome. Because it's worth it sometimes. I mean, if you found someone in your clique and you feel safe to be vulnerable and they are encouraging and knowledgeable, then like you said, it's totally worth it to try to have them collaborate with your primary care doctor. Having the right therapist is, is incredible. And, you know, if you're fortunate enough to find someone who works well with you, oh yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. you're right. It, it not necessarily all, all the time happens the very first time. A lot of times you're going to go through a couple of therapists before you find someone you feel connected to. And that's where a lot of people kind of get stuck and they're like, man, I've been to see three people. I don't want to keep doing this. And, you know, telling about all things that are going on inside of me and they give up. So I always like to encourage people, you know, if you go and see a couple of different people, that's okay. You, you got to right. find the right person for you. Well, here's my thing. How many people have you dated? You know, like I look back at the guy, if you dated four or five, six, seven people before you found your husband, it probably works the same way with your doctor. So right. one speed date at a time and you will be okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes. Now, unfortunately, you always get the one person who's like, but I married my first boyfriend. You're like, oh, okay. That, that analogy is not going to work. Right. <laughs> you just give speed dating a try with a, a therapist let's, let's, let's talk about asian food restaurants or coffee places we'll talk about that with you but. well and my therapist also had a session allowed a session with my husband so my husband could come on and my therapist could say hey since you're the one living with her it's important for you to understand ocd so here's probably what you're seeing here's why you're seeing it it's not friction between you and her it's literally friction with herself and her brain Here's ways to work through the compulsions with her. Here's what's not healthy to do. And, and I'm just, you know, like you said, when you find the right one, it's a game changer. Well, and, and that brings up the next point that I, I kind of wanted to bring up is that OCD is not necessarily fully internal. I mean, you, you brought up like the things that go on in, in your brain um, some of the physical things you dealt with because of what was going on in your brain, but there are things you do externally mm -hmm. that impact the people around you. So yeah. how did you manage some of that with your friends and family? Because I know that can be frustrated for some people around yeah. with OCD. Right. Uh, I think when, when COVID first hit and my husband and I, my husband's a pilot. So obviously he was sent home real quick and just, <laughs> it was just me and him for four or five months at the house. I, I think on average, and this should show you how OCD I am. I was washing my hands about 57 times a day. That was the average. Wow. I was, I didn't even leave the house, but I was afraid I touched the floor, touched the doorknob, didn't know what was on it. Didn't know if I, I obviously I can't see germs. So how do I know they're not on my hands? And, I mean, my hands were cracking and bleeding. My finger behind my wedding ring was just raw all the time. It, it was never healed over. And so my husband and I got to where we, we, I made up this game and he totally went with it. I would just say, Hey, Josh, um, OCD or not. And I'd run the intrusive thought by him and he said, yes, OCD, you're okay. And instantly that, okay, that's OCD, let it go. And it was at home during COVID that he and I really learned how to work with the more tangible stuff. Because for him, I mean, I, one day I, I just, I was cooking and I don't do raw meat well, cause it's contaminated. Yeah. So I have a hard time cooking with meat. And I just couldn't do it. I just ended up crying in the kitchen, just standing over this pot of meat because I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to get anybody sick. And he had to literally step in and cook dinner because I physically could not do it. And through all that with COVID adding all sorts of anxiety on top of that, 
we, we just honestly learned a simple game of, Hey, OCD or not. And, and believe it or not, the power of him just reaffirming me like, Hey, that's not you. That's OCD. You're not, you're not gonna hurt anybody. Everybody's okay. Gave my brain so much relief. So that's kind of how we worked through it. And slowly I had to be real honest with family members. Like my, my dad, he loves the news. He loves staying updated on all the things. And he likes to send me all the articles about COVID and who's died and who's not and the vaccine. And he doesn't mean any harm, but, but I've had to say, hey, dad, with my brain, I don't need to know who's died. Like, that's just going to make it worse. Right. So you just, so then there's just been kind of awkward, but honest conversations of, hey, that, that doesn't work well with me. You just can't. And they've been super receptive. It hasn't caused like friction or anything, but it does require honesty with people too. Like, hey, yeah. believe it or not, if, if you can help me with X, Y, and Z, it'll stop the compulsions way faster. It, it's, it can be very, especially when you, when it's, when it's like germs and, mm-hmm. and death and harm, those type of articles can be, they, they can set you back so far, but yeah. definitely, um, I, I love the game idea. I love your communication and your openness with it. It's, that is, that is a huge part, your willingness to be open and honest and asking the question, is this OCD and separating it from yourself? Exactly. But it's not you, you are not OCD. I think that's, that's an incredible technique that you use. Well, it was a, it was a lifesaver because, you know, like I said, I'm at the point where I'm losing weight, like crazy. I'm not eating. I've lost my appetite. And I just, my body knew that we were going to have to get creative with something because my brain needed a break. But the thing is, is you're not OCD and OCD, like you are your own person. And this is, is, you know, like I am not EDS. EDS Mm -hmm. may be part of what's happening to my body, but I am like, I am not EDS. I am me. Right. um, You are not OCD. You are a person who Who struggles, who struggles with a thing called OCD. And that's the reality is everybody has something and yeah. mine just happens mm-hmm. to be my brain. Like that, that's where my battleground is every day. And, and I think once, once you realize that everyone else has something, whether they're admitting it or not, that they are struggling with mental health, physical health, emotional health, relational issues, people carry a burden every day and it gives you so much more grace for them. And then eventually you turn around and realize that you need to give yourself that same grace. So when did you, when did you start to really give yourself that grace? Because I think that that is something that a lot of people really struggle with because they, they lose, they they tend to dwell on the fact that, you know, my life isn't what it used to be. They get frustrated with themselves. They start to kind of hit, like they, they start to hate on themselves a little too much. So when did, when did you start to learn to really give yourself that grace? You know, it's almost like when you're, when you're getting over an ex-boyfriend, you, you stop chasing the rabbit holes. So what happens is, you know, you're going to have days where your brain, even if it's not mental health, you're going to have days when your brain's like, Hey, this sucks. Hey, you know what you could be doing and how far you could have went. If not for whatever. I I mean, that, that's just, that's a thing, but I've, I've learned the key is you let yourself have that thought because you are human. And, and then you stop the, the rabbit holes. You don't chase it because the, the reality is you are who you are. And for me personally, I've learned to say rather than what all could I be doing? What have I missed? 
I tell myself, what opportunities can you step into now that you couldn't before? Because believe it or not, you have opportunities now that were completely impossible before. For me, I've had several women reach out since reading my book and they've said, hey, you're the reason I ended up going to therapy. Hey, I, I, had, I knew something was wrong because I was having all these thoughts. And I, I mean, I, I just think I'm some horrible human. And you and your book listed out exactly what I was thinking. I went to therapy and I got diagnosed with OCD and now this makes total sense. And so for me, it's, it's more of, I guess, making your brain process the new opportunities rather than dwelling on the missed ones. I like th- that. Yeah. Is, that's very similar to how I try to approach it because I don't like the what ifs living mm-hmm. in the what if land. There's so many of them. Like what if, you know, they have that new Marvel show. On, on right us. what if what if this happened in the universe what if that and it's cool it's cool to see like how it could twist in a cartoon version but in right. real life if we dwell in the past if we sit there and we dwell in the past we don't live in our present or our future yeah. like we 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 can't move forward and I think you know we we get stuck we get stuck right and mm-hmm. we like we, we make ourselves miserable sometimes. Oh yeah. That was, that was me. So with, when COVID hit and my OCD just, I mean, it catalyzed, like we'd had it under control and then it just took off. I was, I was talking to my therapist doing like a telehealth thing. Cause we weren't doing anything in person. And, and it was to the point where she, she said, cause she's honest, which is another thing you want. Like you want a therapist who, who isn't going to beat around the bush. And she yes. told me, she said, you've got to get up, get out of the bed you have got to eat. It was literally a, Hey, if you haven't gained five pounds in our next session, we're going to have a little chitty chat. Like she, you know, she was being my mama. I think I like and your therapist. She, she, <laughs> her name's Karen, which is so everyone finds it so funny. because Karen's such a, My therapist, Karen. No, but Karen is the bomb. I love we're I, she isn't my therapist anymore because I moved, but we are still friends. And, and that's the neat thing is I emailed her book updates. She's bought my books. Like she's just, She's wonderful. But for me, it was like you said, with what ifs, they they don't matter. What does matter is, hey, you get out of bed today. Hey, you feed yourself. You show up so you can be there for other people, too, because believe it or not, people do love you in the situation you're in and you owe it to them to show up as who you are, flaws, diagnoses and whatnot. And the thing is, is we're all flawed people. Everybody's flawed. Everybody has their scars, their their scabs, their bruises, we're all flawed people and, and dwelling on needing to be perfect or the life we could have had. It just, it doesn't do us any good. It just doesn't. And I mean, it's so much easier to say than to do because we've all been in that situation. Right. But I think it's important when you think about your friend groups or the family members you're very close to, for me, at least when you trace back why you feel so connected to them, it tends to be because they've been through something similar to you. Absolutely. Like, so honestly, real relationships for me are cultivated from the scars, from people showing up and saying what in their life is just not going well. Like that is where I find community. Yes. Now, have you in, in, during all this time, have you found that, cause you found your close community, you found your close friends with your OCD. Have you lost friends? Have you had to cut connections with people because they didn't understand your OCD because they they were kind of toxic to you during these times 
of difficulty or throughout, you know, we talked about the toxic positivity and things right. like that. There's, I, I haven't experienced, experienced lots of toxic positivity. Um, I've really separate, so I grew up in a very legalistic church culture as well as a child. And I've learned to separate myself from that because it just triggers religious OCD. So like I've, I've had to learn to step away from that. Um, but I have had friends, I guess this is for the friends who are there and supportive. I had one friend, I went to see her during COVID just one-on-one and she cleaned her whole house top to bottom for me. She sat six feet away from me. She, she asked before she hugged me before she got near me. Like, wow. It just, I got there and she's like, I just want you to know I've wiped every doorknob. I have scrubbed my kitchen. Whatever you need is, is cleaned. I, I woke so up sweet. early. She woke up at 6 a.m. that morning to clean her whole house for me to come over. And, and so that's the thing is there are people I've had to say, hey, look, you're not healthy, but those four or five people who are there are there. And, and I don't question it whatsoever. There's, there's been a few shows I've showed up on with my book. I did a little bit of a virtual book tour, like interviews and radio shows. And I've had people think that the best way to start the conversation is to make a joke about OCD. That's, that's been a hard one where I'm just like, I am on camera and I have no clue. I'm very honest. I am an open book. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm not going to sit there and laugh with you. I'm, I'm just not. Um, so there's been moments like that where I'm like, yeah, you and I will not be friends when this is over. Like you will definitely not be on the friend group list. So there's, there's been some really awkward moments, especially ones on camera where I, I just don't know what to do, but the people who are in my corner have showed up in immeasurable ways. That's so awesome. And, and I think that's something we try to convey on, on the show a lot is it's, it's important to find the friends that cultivate you, that, that make you better, that, that make you feel comfortable, that, that are there for you. And you don't have to have like a giant friend group. It's the people that are really there for you. Um, and it's okay to, you know, put the people that don't make you feel good kind of over or like, absolutely. Um, like you were saying, you know, it, it's important for you to have faith, but to kind of not be into the legalistic, into the legalistic side, because that triggers your OCD and right. that's important. And to know where your boundaries are. We also had done an episode on boundaries mm. because I think for a lot of us in the chronic illness community, whether it's mental health or physical health, boundaries are so important for us, but your friend who cleaned her house, like I want her to be my best friend. <laughs> oh, she's her, her name is Karen too. Like I, I have all these friends yeah, named Karen. Cute. All the Karens in my life are phenomenal people. But that's awesome. She, she is she's great. She is a total sweetheart. And what I love about Karen and that tight friend group is they they are so accommodating, like scrubbing your whole house. But they also are are good enough to look me in the eye and say, "Hey, you're not okay today. What's going on?" Yes. Like, or, or you're not, you're not you, right? I had one friend, the one who first told me she had OCD. She looked at me one day and said, Hey, your hand's shaking really bad. You're spilling your coffee. Like your, your nerves are shot. Are you okay? Do I need to come sit with you at your house? Are you okay by yourself? Do, can you leave here and be safe? And that's what's so wonderful is there's so they're so acclimated to my kind of weird lifestyle, like with cleaning doorknobs but they're also bold enough and love me enough to look at me and not call me out, but say, Hey, something, something's wrong. Like today's a bad day. What what's going on in your brain? Cause they're showing true concern. They really want to make sure exactly. you're okay. 
Exactly. Yes. You, you definitely have friend group goals yeah. here going on. We're yeah, going to definitely. Yeah. <laughs> definitely Karen you're the best (laughs) (laughs) just gonna shout out on the show (laughs) all the Karens shout out this pro Karen group good Karens it's really important to have that support to have those friends I mean we spend a lot of time in our support groups and to hear just the sad stories that we hear it can it it breaks my heart to hear like how some people get treated by their friends how some people get treated by their family so it's nice to hear these stories of 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 positivity of people going out of their way to do good things i mean i i have close friends that go out of their way to make things accommodating for me that are like hey do you want to come over we can just hang out and watch a movie or mm-hmm. you know nicole and i'll sit on the on, on a zoom call. Cause we, you know, we live a million miles away from one another. <laughs> like let's just craft together this afternoon. In yeah. the and, uh, it's, it's just nice to have friends that like, don't require you to go yeah. do things you yeah. just aren't able to do sometimes and just want to hang out. It's just nice to have those people or that are like, I, I just don't think you're right right now. What's going on with you? Can right. I come help? It's so important to help you. Right. I had a, I have another friend when COVID first hit, I was home for three or four months. And then my office wanted me to go back into work. And I had one friend who, if I needed to get up and go from room to room, she'd get up with me and open every door. So I didn't have to touch doors and keep sanitizing my hands over and over again. So I mean, and that her name's not Karen, but her name is Ren. So Karen, Ren, we got, (laughs) you know, we're still in that syllabic flow over here, but, but it's kind of like what you said with therapists you know, you don't settle. Same with your friend group. Like there are some really solid, I think social media has taught us to hate each other and to divide very quickly based on something as simple as who you voted for, Mm -hmm. what denomination you are, what color your skin. Like we have been taught to be super divisive, but I'm telling you, there's really good people out there. Like you just, you gotta look for them. Definitely. It's worth it. So going down friend group, I want to shift gears just a little bit to kind of going along support groups and in this idea of supporting one another, but also kind of going along because you, you mentioned that, you know, helping people and, and getting feedback. And that's kind of part of what your therapist pushed you to get out of bed. And, and we've kind of touched on it throughout. What prompted you to write your book? Because I'm really curious about like, what pushed you into kind of putting pen to paper and writing this story? For me, so uh, when my husband and I first got married three and a half years ago, he was a sales rep for the Atlanta Falcons football team, making really good money. Uh, like we, we didn't have to check the card before we swiped it. The money was there. He, we got to go to all sorts of bougie little insider activities in the Mercedes-Benz State. We lived a pretty high life. Um, that was about six months of fun. And he came home one day and said, hey, babe, I, I think I want to be a pilot. And I was like, what? <laughs> you, you've never even mentioned that you like airplanes. Like what, what is this about? Um, but I did what every good wife does when their husband's wanting to, you know, do something that is healthy and productive. I said, okay. So I ended up balancing two or three different jobs to get him through flight school. And then when he finished flight school, the only airport that was available for him to be stationed out of was in Indiana. And we lived in Georgia at the time. And not only did we live in Georgia, we had just moved to a different part of Georgia for me to start a new job. So oh. with OCD, new is a trigger naturally because yeah. your brain just now has a playground of, of little things to work on. 
So new job, I don't know my coworkers. New town, I don't know my neighbors. The one person I knew was my husband, and now he's moving eight hours away until an airport in the Atlanta, Georgia area opens up for him to come back home. So I, I am all sorts of by myself. I am, I'm just not okay. And that's actually the season of life when I started cracking down on therapy and was willing to get medication. So I fought, I'd listened to the medication lie for about three or four years. I fought the idea of getting medicinal help. But in that season of loneliness, I just hit rock bottom. Like I was just not okay. And I knew that things were not going to get better with me just trying to balance this. I, I am not a superhero. And as perfect as I've tried to be growing up, I'd hit a brick wall. It was a tough season, but there were lots of lessons, lots of growing with therapy, with being more open to medicine, being more open on social media about what I'm going through. And so when my husband, Josh, finally got stationed back at an airport near Atlanta about four months later, I just really felt it was just one of those God callings like, hey, I think you need to write about this experience. So I start writing about my season of loneliness and what it looked like with my mental health, my relationships in February of 2020. And three weeks later, the whole world is alone and sent home amidst a pandemic. So it was just, it was a bittersweet, but really timing I couldn't have picked on my own. No human could. And so my publisher reached out and was like, if there is any way you can write this whole book in a month, it's going to make a difference in sales because we don't know when COVID's going to end. But what we do know is everybody is alone. So you got a not so by myself book. And there's a lot of people around the globe who could really relate. So I wrote the whole book in a month. Wow. It was, it was sent off to the press super fast. Like it was a, it was a, <laughs> I was very exhausted at the end of that month. Did I it, didn't really did it trigger your OCD in any way? Cause I can imagine it sent your anxiety through the roof. I actually, I thrived because it gave my brain something healthy to work on. Oh, so like, good. instead of just, instead of just sitting there and letting my brain just Oh, what do we, you know, what random impossible thing do we want to bring into existence today? It was, hey, let's talk about this and share it with other people. You know, with OCD, I, I don't like, the, you know, my cars are wrecked, my picture frames, whatever, but I do like numbers. I like an order. And so it was, hey, you got to get 2,500 words today by 12 p.m. So it was, it gave me a rhythm that my brain could depend on. And it was now something I did know. It, I could expect it. And so it, it didn't trigger me. It kind of suppressed triggers, honestly. Like I, I thrived in that month. I, I was eating. I was, I, I didn't sleep a lot because I was busy, but I got good sleep, like good, healthy sleep when I was asleep. I was energized. So it, it actually did the opposite for me. Now the editing process was terrible. Like that was also, you know, cause I'm over here getting critiqued by somebody and I have OCD and I'm a perfectionist. So that was a little brutal. The um, editing process is brutal without OCD. I can't even imagine. <laughs> no, it was just my editor. She, she, her name is not Karen. Um, she's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I did about four rounds of editing. So you do the you know, the 20,000 foot view. And then you keep working your way down to, Hey, there's a comma missing. Now that exhausted my brain. Like that was, oh that was me. Like t I I've refused to read my book. Cause I don't want to see if we missed something in print. Cause it'll just wreck me. So I'm just like, I don't want to see it. And if there is one, don't tell me. And we'll just keep moving forward. Just keep that to yourself guys. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. It's a smart plan. <laughs>
whatever can you know boundaries right like there's just <laughs> we we just don't enter into and that's one don't of don't tell the ocd person a comment is missing ever <laughs> no 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 it's it's personal damage just just don't yes. no that totally yeah i can yeah it came out at just the right time i think cuz i think ocd is something that with the pandemic was you know they were talking about a lot of ment- you know mental health issues some people, the pandemic, it helped them thrive. So people who had social anxiety now were being asked to stay at home and they were like, yeah. oh, goodness, you know, I've been waiting on this. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. For this. this is my time. Um, but people who, you know, and even some people who were depressed kind of, it gave them a break a little bit. Yeah. It, it allowed them some time, but people who have, you know, OCD, you know, where it triggered like anything that had to do with germs or, or death thoughts or anything like that. It was a very difficult, difficult time. Oh yeah. I haven't, I haven't pumped gas in a year and a half. Like I didn't like touching the gas handle before COVID because it was just disgusting to me. Um, and my husband's a rock star and we'll drive to the gas station and fill up my car. Like I, I, since COVID, that is one thing I have yet. To, I will not go in a gas station and I will not pump gas. Well, they're, they're, that's totally you know, understandable. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. They're gross anyway. They and, are. and now it's just worse. Yeah. I'm like, I can't even imagine having OCD because, like, I'm already grossed out by it. And then you put OCD mm-hmm. on top of being grossed out by it. Yeah. Yeah, there's some exposure therapy you need to do, like health, like, hey, get out, go in the store, you can wear your mask, you've got your hand sanitizer, but now nah, the gas station, you need a tetanus shot before you go in anyway, so like, that is, not, the that is not, that is not, exposure. Dishes. Yeah, exactly, like, that's not exposure therapy, that's just unhealthy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's not the first place I'm going to send someone for exposure therapy, you know, well, let's start your exposure therapy at, like, Pet smarts where I went. There's dogs. That's you great. know, there's but yeah, there's hamsters. Like there's some cute stuff in there that so I can tolerate the germs. I totally think that's perfect for exposure. There people are like, Kelly, you you just let like dogs lick your face. Aren't you afraid of their germs? I'm like, shockingly, not I'd I'd rather get licked in the face by a dog than a human. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, no, my dogs tackle me like. I can't, I can't explain the rationale. Humans are gross creatures. We don't want to admit it, but there's some gross human beings out there. Dogs don't try to be gross. Like they run around in the dirt, but they're not gross little things. So I I can handle it. Yeah. I I don't know. It's not a rational thing. It's not like it's, it's completely irrational why I can tolerate my dogs licking my face over a human licking my face, but I'll take it any day. So I well, and my that smart thing. My dogs are actually registered psychotherapy support animals. So there's a new branch of service animal that is now specifically for psychotherapy. Yeah, so Alfie and Daisy so cool. are actually. So my husband and I went on a road trip last weekend. Um, we went to Mount Rushmore, and it's a national park, and they tend not to let animals come. But Daisy came with me, and she got to walk through the park. And it was nice to have her with me. And so I really encourage people in that too. Like if you if you think an animal would help, she, Daisy, especially she's more spastic than Alfie. She gets me going in the morning. She makes me get outside. I have to walk her that literally triggers. Hey, it's time to take your medicine. It's the morning. Let's get in our routine. 
Um, that's been a really big help for me. For for the registered psychotherapy though, she has to pass tests, correct? That's not an emotional support animal. This is a, this is a specific different. Well, and so there's, there's two different kinds. There's, there's the support for psychotherapy and there's also the service. So it's, so if you want the full blown service dog, then totally correct. They do. They have to go through evaluations, through training. Mine are just support animals. Right. But the beautiful thing is, I mean, they've gotten to go everywhere. I, ha- I have their little ID card. I carry their registration and it's, it's been phenomenal. She's been able to go with me just about everywhere. Cause I, so one cute. of mine is an emotional support and he gets to fly with me on planes. Kelly who's snoring behind us right now is not, um, <laughs> he, she gets, but she was, a, she was adopted later. Finney was adopted way early and he gets to fly with me when I get anxious. I love that. It keeps me calm. Dogs are the best. He gets to go with me <laughs> places. They're such great comforts. They, they are. Mm-hmm. They're they're wonderful. They're good for they're good for my soul. Alfie, my big brindle dog, he's like 85 pounds. He tends to read me well. Like when I'm not having a, a psychologically good day, he just knows. And he actually comes and sits in my lap. There's, he's all 85 pounds. I'm about I'm about 105 pounds soaking wet. So he and I pretty much weigh the same thing. Um but he just knows anytime I'm, he, he's triggered by me crying. If I cry, he'll just come and sit in my lap. He'll come nudge his head under me. So they're wonderful. My cousin has um, a golden doodle who's trained to identify her anxiety attacks and is actually trained and is a service animal to like comfort her when she's having an anxiety attack and is like certified everything. And, uh, that's very she, cool. She's so good about it. So it's, they, they are very beneficial to people yep. who do suffer from anxiety. And if you can get your dog trained in those circumstances, they can be, yep. I mean, Penny's just been a fantastic dog for my cousin in those circumstances. Um, because I need uh, like 10. <laughs> I think I need like 10. You <laughs> seem to keep getting you your, your bulldog. Who's lazy for you. That's all. <laughs> I keep telling Kelly, I want a fat bulldog that doesn't do a whole, like an old fat bulldog. <laughs> and we can Alfie, just lay so Alfie's, part, <laughs> Alfie's part pit bull. So he's got that big wide oh, face and the, the, the body. Um, and he doesn't do anything. He, he is lazy. <laughs> That's my kind of dog. <laughs> <laughs> talking about dogs. See how it makes us happy. Just talking about them. Right. Talk about that. And that was, see, I can also do the same thing with my cats, but it does it doesn't make Nicole as happy. To no, no, I don't like it. <laughs> I'm more of a dog person personally. I love them all. She this does. It doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> I start, I'm I have, selective. I have Edgar the squirrel who comes up every day and Nick takes peanuts out of my hands. I have I'm a walking Cinderella. <laughs> and I'm a germaphobe, so I'm like, oh my God, you're gonna get some disease. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him the squirrel if it's had his rabies shot. <laughs> I know, I know. It's probably a because you're like, oh my gosh, germs. And I'm like, I'm like, I know, I know. It's terrible. I th- I do actually, after he does it, I'm like, I think I'm getting bubonic plague. And I run. <laughs> well, okay. So I had a great uncle who died of bubonic plague. And oh so for God. me, I'm like, I'm over here like, this is a real thing. I thought it was in a vault somewhere in the CDC. How do I get, you know? So then my OCD is like, oh, bubonic plague, real thing. <laughs> it is a real thing. Um, 
sorry, now triggering you on that. No, it's, <laughs> no, you're, you're it's fine. not, yeah, it is a real thing, but it's fine. It, it, no point in time, does this squirrel come near enough to me? It's like, here's, here, it's like the peanuts like this long. And it's like, he's like, <laughs> that, that's um, how I am with people these days when they hand me my receipt. I'm just like, nah, yes, don't touch me. Like, I they know. I actually I'll feel safer with this squirrel than I do people right people. now. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I'm also like, oh, look, cute geckos. Let me find that gecko. Oh, and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. gecko. <laughs> and um, yeah, no. I play with like, <laughs> I go into the store. I'm like, oh, look at the cute mice. I want to play with them. And Nicole freaks out. And then I want to play with them. <laughs> she freaks out. And I can't, I just can't. I'm like, I'm my goddaughter like, loves that. Opportunity. And she, she's particular about the animals. I and am. I have, I am. And I'm good until I have red eyes. Uh, the red eyes, I can't do like any creature with the red eyes. I'm out. Like I don't. Oh, it doesn't face mm-mm. me at all. I don't like them either. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it, if they've got fur, I'm okay <laughs> with it. They and no. if they're snakes and turtles and Mm-mm. even fish. I had a no. fish that when I would clean the tank, it would swim between my fingers. Oh no, they're too slimy. Mm-mm. Mm. My sister and I would pet our fish. We thought they needed uh, like physical touch affection. When we were little, we'd scoop them and just like pet them every day. And then, meanwhile, we're, we're suffocating them because right. we, we didn't know that we would pet our fish. That As you're killing them. Every day. <laughs> See the things we did, the things we did. Oh my gosh. But poor Nicole, she's just like, no, just dogs. Just dogs. And, oh, and pigs. That's it. I just want dogs oh, and yeah, pigs. Oh yeah, she does. And I'm understandable. Good. Yes, those two things. And I would keep my little piggy clean and <laughs> wash him and everything. Much, the only anim- There's very few animals I would not be okay with. Um, and one of them is a hippopotamus because they're deadly. Well, I mean, I know they could fall on you, but I'm saying they're not going to like try to eat you. They're actually aggressive. They really? will. Oh. Well, yes. I don't want one of those. I couldn't fit it in the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But yeah, they will kill you in an instant like that. I'll make sure to stay away. Yes, <laughs> now I told you, as I told you, Paige, we do go off on tangents. Okay. okay. So, it's about animals, so we're okay. <laughs> I know, I know. See, see, you know, chronic illness and we go off and we get happy about animals. <laughs> yeah. okay. But um, okay, so let's so you you've written this book. Um, it's it's amazing. I think people um we're going to post a link to your book on our Instagram, Facebook, all the fancy pages that we have right. here. Um, is there anything in particular? Because we're getting toward the end of the show. So I want to know, is there anything in particular you want to necessarily share about your experience or share about what's going on with you, with the audience? Anything, you know, any pieces of wisdom or insights? The, the pressure to give wisdom. I know, right? Um, I found my first gray hair actually like three days ago and I called my mom so upset. I was like, this is it. I am old. And she's like, no, baby. That's just, she said, that's just silver wisdom, babe. Just take it. So get my channel in my silver wisdom here. Oh, I must have a lot of wisdom. <laughs> so that was a nice response. My mom was like, you're going to get more. <laughs> you pluck it and seven will come back. Right. She's okay. like, it's just the start and it goes downhill from there. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> you know, I tell, I tell people, um, I have it a little bit of it on my website. I tell people who read my book, I'm, I am an open book because what was the game changer for me was the day my friend at coffee was just like, 
yeah, I'm afraid to change kids' diapers. I'm afraid I'll hurt them. Like that honesty and openness literally catalyzed my healing. And so I tell people my Instagram, my Facebook, I am always open. I I'll happily get on a zoom chat or a, a phone call. I'm not afraid of working through things, talking through things with people. So if anyone ever wants to reach out to me personally, I'm not a fan of, you know, people creating this vulnerability feel. And then you reach out to them and it's just like, Hey, I'm going to heart your message and just thanks. We'll move on. I'm, I'm very open to people who need to talk. I love that. Um, so I'm an open book. I'm an open door online, but I think one of the biggest lessons I, I try to tell people that I hope they get from my book is regardless of, you know, if it's OCD, if it's anxiety, if you have a, a physical chronic illness, what, whatever your burden is, whoever you think you are right now, the God of everything sees you as 20 times better than that. And so it's just self self-worth matters so much. And you've got to recognize that to understand it's time to heal. And so I just really encourage people to, to understand that they matter. And, and even if no one around them is, is telling them, they can tell themselves because it's true. Write it on your mirror, write it on a sticky note. I write messages to myself everywhere. I have sticky notes on the refrigerator, in my car. Just remind yourself you, you matter and it's important that you're here. And when, when that becomes a truth that you finally internalize, healing becomes so much more of, of a realistic, hopeful thing. I love that. And that is such a great way to end the show today. <laughs> thank you. Yes. So thank you so much, Payson. Thank you so much for joining us today, joining us, talking about OCD, talking about your experiences, lifting us up a little bit today, because actually lifting us up a lot. This was wonderful. <laughs> it was and absolutely um, great. it was such a pleasure. Um, thanks everybody for listening. We, we want to encourage everybody to check out Payson's book. Um, also head over to our website and, uh, don't forget to sign up for our email list. Um, if you're getting on our email list, um, not only will we email out links, um, on our regular email list, but you can also get on our waiting list and get updated for our unstuck program, which is going to be taking place the first, uh, week of October. And that's our six day, um, program to get everybody unstuck from this like place we kind of get into when we have chronic illnesses or we can kind of get down in the doms kind of down in, in stuck in our in our place and uh, we're going to take everybody through a six-day program to kind of get us moving and and get us into a better place in our lives and kind of kind of just improve ourselves a little bit and you know find that place in, in, in our lives where we can keep moving forward. So we will, we hope everyone has a great week and we'll chat again next week. Thanks everyone. Bye guys. Bye.